0: This is the Calm Living Blueprint Podcast, episode number eight. Hey, podcast listener even if you are feeling alone in your pursuit of calm and confidence know that today right now in your earbuds you are joined by thousands of others all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are at calm living we believe it's only when we stop struggling against our fearfulness and our anxiety that we begin to find lasting freedom from it to live the lives we want to live That is what this podcast is about. Come join the confidence revolution. Well, hello. Welcome to episode eight of the Calm Living Blueprint podcast. I'm your host, Candace Esposito, the founder of Calm Living Blueprint. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to listen. I hope, you know, you get a lot of benefit out of it. So as I mentioned in the last podcast, episode 7, I recently attended our biannual naturopathic doctors convention here in Canada. The main topic of the conference was inflammation. And the relationship between inflammation and anxiety and other mood disorders like depression kept popping up again and again in different lectures. Now, of course, my ears perk up whenever I hear the word anxiety, since that is a big part of my life and the lives of my patients. But I think anyone that attended that convention would agree that psychology and mind-body aspects got a lot of attention. A lot more attention than I remember even a few years ago. This is cutting-edge research, research that's been out only in the last couple of years. And I want to share the major findings and what that means to you. We're going to ask and answer the questions, could inflammation be affecting my anxiety or depression, and if so, what can I do about it? Okay, so before we jump into the content, a quick reminder that the show notes for every episode are available on the Calm Living Blueprint website. The show notes include the actual mp3 recording, the transcript of the podcast, any resources mentioned, as well as the home play that I recommend in each episode. The show notes for today's episode can be found at calmlivingblueprint.com forward slash eight. That's the number eight, as in episode number eight. Now, I do want to mention before we get started that I am fighting off a cold, so if I sound a little more nasally than usual, I apologize. Um, uh, it should only be for a couple of days. By the next, by next week's podcast, I should be you know back to back to normal. So. First of all, just to make sure that we're all on the same page, I want to look at what inflammation actually is. As a quick aside, don't worry, I'm not going to use, you know, a lot of medical jargon. I'm going to use as little medical jargon as possible, and when I do, I'll break it down for you. Because this is what I, I do for myself whenever I read a journal, or, journal article. So when I say that, please know that I don't need to be condescending or anything like that. Simple is better for my understanding, and I'm going to share my understanding with you. So it'll just naturally be in simpler terms. Inflammation is our body's basic reaction to protecting itself to whatever it perceives to be harmful, be it toxins, irritants, infections, stress, and as we'll talk about later, even thoughts or emotions. Inflammation has the classic signs of redness, heat, swelling, and pain. Okay, so think of the last time you might have injured yourself. If you bumped your knee, for example, what did it look like? Probably red and swollen. What did it feel like? Probably hot and painful, right? Redness, heat, swelling, and pain. Essentially, inflammation is the body's attempt to heal itself. So, a certain amount of inflammation is actually a good thing. The problem comes in when that inflammation, that inflammatory response, gets out of hand or becomes chronic in nature, long-term or ongoing. Now, you're probably familiar with a lot of conditions already where this is known to be the case. Things like rheumatoid arthritis, inflammatory bowel disease, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, allergies, and so on. And you've probably already heard about the link between inflammation and outside influences, like environmental toxins, junk food, smoking, alcohol, right? Outside influences that trigger inflammation in our body. Pollution, a donut, puffing on a cigarette, downing a martini, those are all pretty easy to understand how they might cause inflammation or harm to our body, right? Now all of those are outside sources, external influences, but did you know that our bodies can create inflammation all on their own with no outside influences as triggers? Our thoughts, moods, stress levels, and even our social lives can trigger a cascade of inflammatory reactions in our bodies that can lead to all those conditions I mentioned earlier, as well as anxiety and depression. So how does this happen? Well, every time you speak, move, read, think, plan, daydream, anytime you use your brain essentially, the nerves in your brain communicate with each other by chemical messengers, called neurotransmitters. So with every thought, the brain releases chemicals that have effects beyond the original thought. Now the relationship between neurotransmitters and mood has been known for decades. What's new is that researchers have discovered that being anxious, depressed, or stressed also has an effect on inflammatory chemicals in our body. And the chemicals associated with those emotional states, change how our immune, cardiovascular, and hormonal systems function. Wow, right? That's amazing. But how do scientists know this? Well, scientists can track and measure certain inflammatory markers. For example, people who are depressed show increased levels of pro-inflammatory cytokines, one of those types of inflammatory chemicals that I referred to earlier. And we know that giving cytokines to people can induce symptoms of depression. And people with other inflammatory related diseases like autoimmune disease, diabetes, and heart disease tend to have higher levels of depression in comparison to people who do not have those conditions. And certain antidepressant medications work because they reduce cytokine levels in the blood. And we know that healthy people who are depressed are more likely to develop heart disease and inflammatory condition. All right, so if you're wondering, there have been studies that show that individuals with social phobia have higher levels of inflammatory markers as well. A lot of the research has been focused on depression itself or depression alone, which is why I've been saying that the most, but this all still applies to social anxiety. And generalized anxiety as well in fact there was an interesting study that involved 124 participants so it was a smaller scale study but it was one of the first of its kind so it's interesting I think to to talk about the first part of the study had the participants make an impromptu speech to a panel of non-responsive judges okay then they were asked to count backwards from 2,935 by 7s and 13s, all the while being urged on by the experimenter to go faster and faster. Okay, so picture it. You agree to be part of this study. You're asked to give this speech without notice right on the spot to this panel of judges whose faces are completely blank, right? They're not giving you any feedback whatsoever. And then on top of all that, you have to count backwards from this crazy number while the experimenter standing beside you is seemingly losing patience with you. Needless to say, stressful. Okay, And as we expected, when the inflammatory markers of these participants were measured after they had to go through that, the inflammatory markers were significantly increased. Alright, so that was part one of the study. It was done basically to get a baseline. Okay, a baseline of a social stress. Part two involved those same participants playing a computer game called Cyberball. They had to throw a virtual ball back and forth to two other players, but they didn't know that the other players were computer generated. Okay, so the participants thought they were playing with two other humans, but in reality, they were just playing with the computer. In one game, the ball was shared equally. Then in another game, the participant caught a few passes in the beginning, but then was completely ignored for the rest of the 60-throw game. Okay, so imagine what that felt like to be completely ignored in a game that you were playing where the two other participants are just throwing the ball back and forth to each other and just completely ignoring you. So the researchers were doing this basically to create a state of social rejection or ostracism. The participant being left out outside of the social situation. Yeah, it's kind of cruel, especially for those of us who know exactly what this feels like. Well, guess what? The same inflammatory markers that were increased in Part 1 were increased in Part 2. Social rejection or isolation provokes the same inflammatory response as an acute social stress. What does this mean? Well, current research suggests that the pain of social injury is very similar to the pain of physical injury, like arthritis joint pain or a sports injury. And in large part, this has to do with inflammation. They affect the same regions of the brain, and they can be just as painful, maybe more so for social pain. I mean, think about the last time you had physical pain. You didn't feel the pain over and over again, did you? You, know, you f- had the pain initially when the injury occurred, and within a short amount of time, that pain went away. Now think about the last time you felt a social pain, humiliation, embarrassment, rejection, ostracism, you probably felt that same acute pain as you remember the details of the socially painful experience, right? Over the long term, experiencing the social pain again and again, it's no wonder why a lot of people give up and don't try to meet or to talk to people anymore. So this is why it is so, so important to know that there are others out there like you if you are in this situation, and that there are others out there who support you. You know, we kind of brush off social ostracism or social pains like that. A lot of attention is put on bullying, and rightly so. But this research shows that kind of the opposite of ignoring people of... Uh, not participating and not being a part of can have as detrimental a consequence. Okay, so at this point, I understand that this can get a bit confusing since you're probably asking, well, what came first? Does inflammation cause depression and anxiety or does depression and anxiety cause inflammation? Most likely, the relationship is bidirectional. directional meaning inflammation can trigger anxiety or depression, and anxiety or depression can trigger inflammation. Okay, and I know you probably are already also thinking, well, that's all well and good, Candace. so anxiety most likely causes inflammation that causes further problems. That's depressing. Why are you telling me this? (laughs) Well, stay with me. I really think that knowledge is power and there are actually a lot of positive messages to take away from this research about inflammation. First of all, and I think this is the most important message you want to take away fr- you want to take away with you from listening to this podcast. The methods we are using, the step-by-step process we talk about each episode, not only will that help anxiety and depression, but it is also anti inflammatory. That's right. What we've been doing each episode actually reduces inflammation. And this is where it gets really exciting. So let me explain. Okay, so we've made the link between how our stressful thoughts can ignite chemical pathways in the body. It seems logical then that handling those thoughts, dealing with those thoughts, would also affect that inflammatory pathway, right? And indeed, that's what research is telling us. Mindful, mindfulness-based therapy has been shown to reduce inflammation. Just this past January, an article was published in the journal Brain Behavior and Immunity that examined this very topic. A comparison was done between eight weeks of mindfulness-based therapy, versus a control intervention, and that control intervention involved walking, balance exercises, core strength exercises, nutritional counseling, and music therapy, therapies that are all known to help reduce stress. Okay, so some participants received only mindfulness-based therapy, the kind of exercise, exercises and techniques that we're talking about on this very podcast while the rest of the participants received the combination intervention. So that combination of exercise, nutrition, and music therapy. The group trained in mindfulness had significantly lower inflammatory levels after the eight weeks. And you have to remember, these numbers are being compared to a group who aren't just doing nothing. They are exercising, eating healthy, listening to music, And still, there was a significant difference. Imagine what the difference would be like for someone who wasn't doing anything at all. The researchers that wrote that study concluded that people with inflammatory conditions like asthma, psoriasis, irritable bowel syndrome, arthritis, and so on, would particularly benefit from mindfulness therapy. And I think that's true. But we know better, don't we? Combine that conclusion with the additional data we have from other recent research. Regardless of whether anxiety causes inflammation or inflammation causes anxiety, doesn't it make sense to incorporate some type of mindfulness therapy? It doesn't really matter what came first, the chicken or the egg, anxiety or inflammation, because you have tools within your grasp that can be used for both, for both anxiety and inflammation. That's the beauty of how our bodies and minds heal. My experience overcoming social anxiety and using natural medicine told me this to be true. It's nice to see science catching up. So know that being in the here and now, diffusing from your thoughts, allowing space for uncomfortable feelings, and practicing deep breathing and meditation, all those things not only benefit your mind and how you deal with anxiety, stress, and depression, but they also undoubtedly benefit your body and help you prevent or fight all those conditions that ultimately result from inflammation, like heart disease, like diabetes, and obesity. I hope you find that inspiring, because I know I sure do. And I hope that helps encourage you to keep doing, to keep taking action in the knowledge that what you are doing does have a positive impact. Now, I don't really have any home play for you this week. This podcast was meant to provide you with some concrete evidence for what you are doing, for what this podcast is all about. Like I said, my hope is that it helps motivate and inspire you to keep going. But I do want to end today's podcast with what I consider this awesome quote from Marcus Aurelius. He said, do not let your thoughts play havoc by worrying about what may happen and what may not happen, but instead ask yourself the question, what is there in this? that I cannot endure. You will then discover there is no situation which may arise that you cannot deal with effectively. Thank you for listening. If you found this podcast beneficial, please leave a comment and rating on iTunes. I really appreciate it. And thank you to you if you have already left a comment or rating. And if you know someone who may be a bit skeptical or hesitant about this type of therapy, about meditation, or mindfulness, I encourage you to please pass along this information to them. You never know what might ignite someone into action. Till next week, I'm Candice Esposito. Keep calm and carry on.